All right, plug. I was out of town. Yeah, you left me on my own, man. I had to do Miss Silcott, man. She she came. So this is Miss Jaffe Silcott. You always Uh, do the female podcast while I'm gone. I do, don't. What are, you, are you like? What is your? I think you ain't gotta. You ain't gotta. I think I'm. I think I'm hogging, bro. I think I'm low key being a cock block. I think. <laughs> no, bro. You, she um. We had been planning the interview for a while because she's out of Tampa, and the stars just lined, bro. When she happened to be in town, and uh, I felt bad, and I'm going to apologize to you, Miss Silcott, but we kind of had a little miscommunication that first night. She came and was like, hey, what you doing? I was like, I ain't doing nothing. Come through. So she was under the impression that I wanted to like go out and hang out. And I was so tired, bro. And I just was like sitting on the couch with a blunt hanging out my mouth. And you know when I put this robe on. Miss Silcott, <laughs> I can attest that that is, we don't even go out and hang out because we're, we just, I, I don't know what it is. We just, that sleep is undefeated. Bro, it is hard to leave the house, man. And so, she uh, she came back the following day, and we knocked the interview out, and uh, got a lot of insight, man. She has a hell of a story, you know. She was an athlete herself, played in college, and uh, her main thing was just giving back to the youth, giving back to young women, um, you know, through some of the things that she is now involved in, still around sports. You know, uh, I think she was an attorney. She talked about being a lawyer and things like that. So. Hate you missed it, brother. Hate you missed it. Oh, well, we'll have her back again. Well, the next time she comes back, then you got that go-out energy, so have at it. (laughs) Miss Silcott, we appreciate you. Y'all enjoy this episode of The Trophy Case. Later. So you was a cheerleading yeah. captain yeah. and a basketball captain. Captain, yeah. How how did you do both of those? So listen, it's it's a um a lot of it is the funniest parts are about my uh involve my basketball coach. So Coach O'Neill, who is in Alabama's uh coaching hall of fame, would didn't make it easy when I came from cheering and I had to change clothes and it's like lipstick and he's like we're basketball now so uh, it's not cheering anymore right so all that had, nails off guy. listen everything had to stop lipstick came off and then I, I got on the court um and he was just a he was also our head football coach so he I mean an awesome coach but I knew I wasn't cheering and um Probably 11th grade, I was playing hard defense and got my front tooth knocked out. Hey. And I went to the bench, a quick story, and he said, lean back. And I'm like, oh, they pushed it back. And Hell yeah, we'll no. go to the dentist tomorrow. Yeah, and I actually played the rest of that game. So you had you had a coach. I had a and real a coach. Built in dentist in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I think that was more like instinct. He mm-hmm. just was like, yeah, and it, it worked. Um, my dentist said that probably uh, saved the tooth because it reconnected. So it was dangling. It wasn't like out of my hand, but did a oh, hard wow. shove back up. Yeah, yeah. I saw a buddy knock some of his teeth out diving for a loose ball in hmm. high school. Yeah, it's rough. It's so you you from Alabama? Yeah. Well, what part? Uh, Tallahassee, small town between uh, Tuskegee and Auburn. And I went to high school at Real Town High School. So it's that's the name of the school. Yeah, that's the name of the school. Real Town. It, it's 
It was one A, then two A, and I think it's two or three A now. So. So what? What was that? Predominantly black, white. About half now. Half and half. My my mother was actually the first graduating class to integrate, so that was 1968, and from there they bust in students, and it kind of it's probably half and half, probably 50 50. Y'all when probably I, had some dope ass chance, real town. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine. Yeah. So what was so what was the um, like the high school experience like playing out in Alabama? It was like was y'all any good? Did y'all? Yeah, well, good in football. Y'all um, better be good. Y'all got coaches <laughs> pushing teeth back into your gums. Y'all better be damn. So um, yeah, and you know, in the South in general, it's just sports. Sports, sports, and in small towns, high school sports dominate. So, um, football. Uh, is that one of those towns? It's one of those towns like when Friday night is just shut down. Everybody, at and the I game. think all the small towns around there, Dayville, Realtown, Tallahassee, High, it's you know football Fridays. That is the time. If you're a small, if you're a criminal in a small town, <laughs> that is the time to do all your illegal activities. When the football game is going on Friday night. Everybody, the sheriff, the the more the morticians, everybody <laughs> in the judicial system is at the game. That is the time to go yeah. and do it. All right, so you're in high school. Uh-huh. So you said y'all won some championships, state some? Yeah, two A uh, football championships, and uh, that was when my older brother was a running back. So can't remember the year, but yeah, absolutely. And um, I think they still do really well in um, sports. So your brother played the running back yeah. on the championship team. Uh-huh. Did he go play college ball? Or? Yeah. We got to get him on the podcast, yeah. tell his own story. <laughs> lots and lots of good stories. You yeah, tell his own story. Fast, yeah. So you, are, you coming out of high school, did you get recruited? Did you? Didn't play. Well, I was going to cheer at Troy. Okay. Um, and ended up not uh, doing sports, but got involved in a lot of other awesome uh, things. And, you know, part of, like, my senior year, I remember being sometimes I was frustrated or if I fouled out. Coach O'Neill would say, like, go coach. Like, you know, giving those examples really, really helped with leadership. Um, so I got to, I mean, I was coming from, what, 1A, 2A, and, and got to college just like, here are all these things to do. So I'm thinking I'm going to do the same things I did in high school. I ended up doing just kind of getting involved in everything that I could and um, had an awesome four years. So you stayed at Troy the whole time? Yeah, I was at Troy. Yeah, whole four years. Um, African-American Alliance president. And I think I was the first president to serve more than one term. Um, pledged um, the greatest sorority in the world, Delta Sigma Theta. I was on the Adam Center Union Board. That was like the leadership board, um, working with the chancellor and his wife doing amazing things. And then a lot of community service. I was, you know, um, volunteering to tutor after school with um, kids in public housing. So just awesome opportunity. So really did slow down. Um, I was a Duncan Darling, an ambassador for the men's basketball team. But other than that, kind of moved away from sports for a minute. You sound like you was busy as hell. All I did in college, I played sports for two years, and after sports, I just smoked weed and <laughs> tried to sleep with men and women as I could. And I didn't really care about them damn. That was the goal. I wasn't volunteering for shit. I was nope. 
Tell me when graduation, I pop back out my groundhog hole graduation day. But you don't <laughs> lose it. So even though, like, during those four years, it wasn't necessarily hands-on in sports, and I'll pick up on why, you know, I started back coaching, but you don't lose what you picked up, like, the my tenacity and perseverance, all that stuff you learn from sports, you still have. I think everybody. Oh, you, may have put, you may have pressed pause. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I take. I think everybody should play some type mm-hmm. of sport at mm-hmm. some point in their life because it teaches you so many values that you can, like you say, you can apply later for life. How I use it now is just working out. Like I still right. got the discipline to like. Mm-hmm. I know. I know the importance right. of like maintaining like your body and your health, mm-hmm. and I learned that. Then right. I know still know the workouts to do and right. you know what I mean. So absolutely. So when did you apps you got you volunteered coaching for a while, but then when did you get into like Yeah, so um it was really when my daughter was um younger and well yeah, maybe she started three, four years old, so um I really saw a lot of uh, kids when we signed up. Um, first of all, they say, well, we don't have anyone to coach. Who wants them? I'm like, gosh, I, I had just, I started practicing in 2005. So a young attorney and I'm like, really? But I knew the need was there. And I saw a lot of black and brown girls getting dropped off or waiting, you know, for practice from, you know, maybe being the Y after school and, and seeing it was a need. And, um, and then all of the passion came back. Like I started, um, my first year. And it seems like I had a team of girls that didn't know the basics. And I'm like, was this a setup? Or? Nah. <laughs> um, but just going through, I mean, the idea is to teach, like you said, uh, sportsmanship um, and to teach the basics to girls. And I think a part of um, coaches, when you lose that, it's all about winning. So I didn't go in it to win the championship, but I'm competitive. So the first year, and I think it was the crickets, and I sent you some pictures. We won um, the championship for that age group. Uh, and I don't know if it was including the other cities at that time, but it was for all of um, Montgomery. And started from there and coached T-ball, coached soccer, won a couple championships in soccer. And uh, every year we were winning championships, and it seems like they would continue to try to get girls that had no idea about the sport and say, hey, um, Let's let's uh, you know, let's teach them. But it was a great uh, eight to nine years. And really, I I was able to go back and pick up on a lot of the things I learned. So, yeah, that funny stories. I'm thinking. Coaching T-ball. You got to add a patience of a biblical character. I mean, listen, you got to add a patience of Job. (laughs) Good God almighty. Add in deep south heat. Sheesh. So, I mean, trying to, trying to, yeah, yeah, it was, I think that was probably the hardest thing to coach. Um, I bet. Yeah. I fucking bet. I yeah. bet. Mm-hmm. I went to a t-ball game and like the hardest part of being a comedian, it's not a hard part for me, it's a mm-hmm. hard part for the world, mm-hmm. is that I can't ever turn the shit off. So. Yeah. I had jokes. Them folks was like, you can never come back to this game. Do, I was just like, yo, what the fuck am I watching? It was, man. Is it like... Um, they should let comedians commentate T-ball games. They would make them so listen, much better. Listen, there was a... I just saw um, 
commentary by Snoop Dogg for a wildlife show. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was just a real, I don't know if it, it listen, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it'd be a lot of angry parents. Absolutely. <laughs> and and this is the thing too. I used to referee. My dad was an official. Oh yeah, you saw. That's but that's how I used to referee. Yeah. And that's what really made me get out of it. It was the parents. It wasn't the play if if you could put all games in the bubble, like how they did the playoff mm-hmm. play that year, yeah. where there's no fans, mm-hmm. it's just the game. Right. Oh, man, I'll still be doing it. <laughs> but it's when you factor in, because a lot of parents don't, first of all, know what the hell is going on in the game. They just know their kid just fell down, so somebody fouled him. Your kid fell on his own feet. First of all, ma'am, sir. Mm-hmm. So... I could imagine, like, T-ball parents taking it so serious. You're like, hey, y'all, it is no Major League Baseball scouts out here. <laughs> Even if one of their kids are playing, it doesn't matter at this level. Yeah. Like, bruh. It's oh. a lot of competition. I remember probably my third year coaching. And then it kind of turned into um, they were putting girls from the same school on teams. So, so you had young girls that went to um, my daughter's school, and then there was a um, a team that was kind of strict competition, and two parents were coaching, and those ladies, I mean, literally every time, every Saturday morning we had to play them, I knew it was going to be a problem, and we ended up winning. I think this was kind of a they do about fours, yeah, before the championship. So it wasn't the championship game, but it was the, the game before. And they came on court, I guess, to attack me because they said I was teaching the girls a defense that was cruel. I mean, this is verbatim. And I turned around, and it was the two coaches and a guy. But... <laughs> There, there was a former, um, and I think he played professional football player. I was, I coached his daughter maybe three, three years, and I literally looked and I was like, and they were screaming and just like, this isn't. So I turned around and he was there. Um, he's also a pastor, so I was like, okay, this is a good thing. But yeah, it's um, the parents make it a, a lot more difficult. Absolutely, yeah, a lot more difficult. Absolutely, I yeah, I I, I don't have any. I didn't have any like. Got in the fights with parents. Story. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of coaches though. I was just like, "Hey, man." They were serious. About yeah, you know it's gonna be a white car out in that parking lot. Mm-hmm. You can meet me out there after this game, bro. Like, if it, if you really feel that way, bro, mm-hmm. I'll be out there. Yeah, yeah. Go and give you a little speech. I'll be out there. I'll be out there waiting on you, bro. So, dang. Okay. So, what's what is like the most challenging part of coaching? I would definitely say development. If you so, if you love a sport, you realize like the, how important the basics are. And I do love basketball, but when you're when you know you're dealing with young girls, and many of those girls, you know, it's you go up to nine, ten. Most of the girls that are playing, they played before. But when you're doing six, seven, eight year old girls, oh, yeah. never play, never touch the ball. Parents never played sports. They just kind of say. I want my daughter to go to the WNBA, and I'm like, trying to get them out the house on Saturday morning. <laughs> she's seven, but um, yeah. So it's um, teaching the basics and just the layup, like how many times you have to continuously say, like 
it helps if you lift your leg and put, you know. So I think teaching the basics. I'm dealing with the older the girls got and recognizing playtime positions, and that's coming yeah. from parents. Um, wanting, you know, just like, I guess, guys, everyone wants their son to be quarterback, running back. And for, for girls, it's like, why can't she be a point guard? Because we may not be able to dribble yet. We're working on that. So, yeah, I think teaching the basics. And then really encouraging positive attitudes because, again, the reason I got into it was understanding everyone isn't as fortunate. Um, And my daughter had been playing. um, I kind of started her off with the basketball. But for girls, and like you said, the importance of sports goes further than, you know, youth YMCA or city league. It teaches you life lessons. So mm-hmm. trying to instill those lessons early and when someone's mad at another teammate and we stop and say, hey, let's let's have some time and um, talk and we would sit in a circle. All those things, I think, um, were difficult when because I hadn't coached. And then getting the girls into that groove, knowing like, okay, now we had, we pushed and they would automatically fall in a circle. So especially the girls, I had the opportunity to coach um, for multiple years. I think one thing that people kind of going back to the how sports translates to regular life. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, if you're a part of a team at least one year, you learn how to work with a group of people mm-hmm. to accomplish a goal. It's the same shit you finna have to do if you go get a job. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing you gonna have to do if you got a business. Mm-hmm. You got to hire people. You got to work with a team to yeah. accomplish a goal. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have like, and this is not to say like force your kids into stuff because that's a whole nother issue which causes burnout, which causes problems down the line. Uh-huh. I got friends that were great at shit, but their parents was just like, year round, year round, year round. And then by the time they got ready for them to get to high school or to where it really mattered, they was like, man, fuck baseball. And I was mm-hmm. like, bro, you could. I said, man, I don't. It, that's, that is so true. So I have two children. My, son, um, my son's the oldest. My daughter's the youngest. And I put him in football, I think, at six. Uh, basketball, and I was literally like the only mom sometimes on the field, like trying to run it, hit harder. And he got burnt out. Yeah. And for parents, especially if you were a student athlete, it's like, what do you mean you don't want to play sports? Yeah. And he knew, like, I'm not dealing with my mom. Because I tried coaching probably like he was in summer league, six or seven. He was like, Mom, you, you can't coach us. You can't coach us. I'm like, what? So pushed him, pushed him. I always wanted, you know, hit harder, go faster. And he came, I think it was ninth grade. He said, I, I don't want to play football. And I'm like, we don't quit. We, we were going to play football. What you mean? Yeah, so that was eighth grade. Ninth grade, got a call from um, one of the coaches. And it was like, I haven't seen Terry in seventh period. What's going on? And I asked one day, he's like, I told you I'm, I'm done. And I'm like, you you actually quit? It's like, yeah. So, um, that and he had been playing since basketball at the Y, maybe three football since he was six. And I saw, like, this is what he's going to do. And he got fatigued. And, you know, and I think the most important thing, although you don't te- we don't want to teach our children to quit, is also forcing. He still got what you said those years growing up learning how to be a team player and all those important things. But it's also understanding everyone is not going to be an athlete. Some of the worst athletes make the best coaches. Some of the, um, you know, some coaches haven't necessarily played that sport. 
uh, but they turn out to be okay. So he just got burned out. And I think when you, when we start children younger, you know, you hear all these stories about surgeries, especially with baseball because yeah. of the repeated use of, and you know, that mentally can happen. So mm-hmm. I've, I've seen both, like my daughter is a graduating next year. She's still playing basketball. And with my son, he burned out, but from three until what, 14, 15, Sometimes it happens. And you really, really got to love a sport to play that, you know, mm-hmm. that young for that long. So Especially in college because that oh. shit turned into a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm blessed because what's crazy, my daughter's mom is athletic at like, you know, at like me. My daughter never played nothing. So I never got teased. Oh, I wow. never, I never got, like my daughter, she is a diva, like. Sweat? No. Mm-hmm. No, no. No, 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 no. Yeah. She said one day, she's probably about six, uh-huh. maybe seven, six or seven. Mm-hmm. She said, Dad, I want to play basketball. I got excited as hell. Right. So I said, all right. Well, I'm going to start with the basics. Okay. I went and bought some t- a tennis ball, mm-hmm. short, like, right. short of dribbling, and I got a regular ball. We went up to that park. Man, Joker stayed out there for about 30 minutes. She started sweating. She said, this going to happen every time? I said, yeah, you're going to sweat. She was like, I saw it. She was like, oh. Uh, okay. Nah. This may not be for me. I don't think this is going to be for me. Yeah. And she swims and she'll do certain things, but anything that revol- like involves sweating. Right. Wow. It's not going to happen. It so, skips generations. Yeah. That's why I say I might need to have one more. I think if I have another one, they're going to bite. They're going to take, they're going to get the bug. So, yeah. But so, I'll just be, I won't be old, like too old to play, but I'll be too old to play. If you, know <laughs> I mean? you know what I mean? I'll be like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to show you how to shoot this jump right. shot on this trash can over here. Give me some balled up paper right quick. <laughs> and yeah, so. Yeah. But yeah, man, it's, um, I hadn't really, I didn't, I coached a little bit. Okay. But I'm, I'm too I'm a, yeah, I got bad temper. So I gotta get I wanna get one of my old like players on here just to talk about this one time I got kicked out of this basketball game. I kicked the basketball across the gym. So every year, I don't know if they do this in Alabama or Florida, but every year in Georgia, all the colleges have an intramural, you know, they had an intramural. Mm-hmm. So they have an intramural tournament. So you can like take the best of right. I lost the state. Alabama State. Right, right. Troy State. Right, right. And send them all to they'll play at Montgomery or Birmingham at some school. And it's like so it's super serious, right? I'm talking about wow. like you win championships and shit. It's bragging rights. And they called something on me, I don't remember, but they, it was a terrible call. And so they gave me a tech. And I was just like, Oh, y'all gonna take me up, go double down, bitch, let's go get up out of here. And the ball just happened like like somebody like it was in a movie. The ball just like rolled towards me, and like I ain't seen dodgeball. I I hadn't seen kickball pitches this good. I was like, oh yeah, that's perfect. And I tried to kick it. I was kicking it at the ref, but the shit. I might have missed my calling as a field goal kicker because that bitch sailed. I'm talking about that bitch beeline to the stands to this day. Every now and then, one of them guys that was on that team would inbox me on Facebook and be like, Nick, I was thinking about that goddamn game. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, yeah, I I knew, like, Where did the temper come from? Was it, do you think some, like, was it because of sports, like you saw in sports or when you weren't playing? 
No, I think and it's a lot better because like I know right when to be like mm-hmm. all right. Let me so it's something it. you're working on. Yeah. Right. right. But so like before um truth be told that <laughs> this gonna sound fucking harsh, but being around women too much. Like my dad was around me, but mm-hmm. we had my me and my dad relationship is is like kind of like partners. Okay. We, you know what I mean? Yeah. So and I don't mean to say be around women a lot, but if a man, you have to have masculine energy a lot. Right. Or you will develop like emotional Absolutely. shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so that's all it was. Like me being a young man mm-hmm. or am I just not knowing how to really process mm-hmm. my own emotions and shit. So yeah, like now it's more like if I get mad at something, I'm probably like I said, I was telling you, I'm probably irritated mm-hmm. or something. But I just know I don't let a lot of shit bother me no more. But you you know how to deal with it and manage yeah. it. So when you say like that's a problem, I would say that's something you learn how to manage. Cause yeah. you you did say irritated and not, you know, like when you were younger. So yeah, I think it's it's a part of life when you understand your vices and manage them. It's a mixture of both though, mm-hmm. truth be told, because like I was telling my daughter, you it's crazy how DNA works because you could never meet your parents. You could somebody could pop you out, a dude can skeet it and hit the street, a woman can pop you out, drop you off at the front door of an abo- uh, orphanage, and when you grow up, you are just like those people that you have never met in some capacity. You gonna do so? You are just like them. So it's best to figure out. What you get from both parents, mm-hmm. good and bad. And I'm blessed enough to be able to. I can I can literally make you a list wow. of what I get from my mom that's good and bad. And what I get from my dad that's good and bad. Because I took the time to like really pay attention to both of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's I mean a lot of people will argue with that because of personal for personal reasons. Absolutely. But I, I do know that that is why so many adopted people they seek and and try to find their birth parents. You because yeah, because there is a bridge, it's a connection. And it's just like with for people who may say, well that's not true. You look at uh, DNA and why it's so important every time you go to get a general checkup and they say list of things your mom, your dad, because just like you pass those um things through DNA, I do I do believe personality traits and um, you know even some vices. Oh some yeah! Of it is, some of it is environmental because if you are around that parent, the argument would be, well, you're picking up because you see them, you heard them cursing, so you curse. But there are, uh, I mean, some of this is scientifically proven, so I have to agree. Like if you, yeah, if you born to like a mom that smoked crack, you more prone to be like. A junkie in some part of your life. Well, right? it's it's addiction and and doctors who study that it's certain. Um, it's not just traits because people say, oh, they have the same traits, but uh, it's it's um, some children are born with the same thing that led. So we don't have to say crack, but who whatever that addiction is, <laughs> you may have two children, and then you say, gosh, all of them are so like. But it's it's uh it passes down. It's crazy how and then like I know I know some brothers, right? Same house, same mom, same dad. Mom, both parents, not like super prestigious, but had good job. Mm-hmm. Let's say mom was an accountant and mm-hmm. dad was like teacher. Okay. One brother finished what he finished. 
I want to say he finished. Uh, what's that school? Oh, in Boston. <sighs> a good college. Okay. Yeah. Other brother, cold blooded killer. I'm talking about. Hey, you. He in prison now, but you could have called him like, "Hey, I need. I got five hundred dollars. Need somebody gone." He'd be like, "Hey, where they at?" Wow. Same house, same mall, same DNA. So that's the kind of shit that make you go, "Wait a minute." Like, I don't know. It's, it's, so the DNA, you just said, I mean, you answered your question earlier. You can take the good things. You can take the vices from both parents. Right. So what happens, it's just like a sickle cell trait when your sister one, may have sickle one cell. One of parents one, got a darkness somewhere. Right. And that, and that other kid. Picked up right here. He was like, oh, yeah, y'all over here being uh-huh. happy. I see the evil that dad never uh-huh. did. And I'm going to go do it. Yeah. So <laughs> some of those vices pour into one. And maybe not so much in the other, but yeah. So you 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 a lawyer? Yeah, um, I graduated from uh, LSU School of Law. And oh shit! Yeah, yeah. So that big time. It is big time. That was a tiger play. It was back. <laughs> it was back when it was a thirty three percent attrition rate, and you know I wasn't around lawyers. I didn't grow up around lawyers. And a lot of legacies, you know, grandfathers who were judges. It was very, very competitive. And um, I learned a lot, again, how does force help? Because I, you had to step in being competitive. With the 33% attrition rate, you had to say, I'm not going to be in that 33%. So not playing uh, dirty, there were, you know, some, I, I guess, competition uh, gets ugly. But... It was difficult. Um, all three years were difficult, but I had some great experiences. And I remember um, my after my first year, every professor chose um, a law student to work with them. And uh, John Devlin gave me that opportunity. And really, coming from like that much competition in the first year, it was burnout. It was, do I want to do this a second year? Do I even want to be a lawyer now? Because it was a lot. And study groups became, should I keep this or should I share it or maybe the wrong information? So wasn't really doing um, study groups and having that experience to work uh, with the professor who was very passionate um, helped. And then I ended up clerking in employment law um, and, yeah, passed the bar in 2005. So I took two years off Mm -hmm. and really didn't think I was going to pass the bar because who like takes two years and I didn't pick up a law. I heard this shit was hard. Whoa, yes. And the hardest test you've ever taken. The hardest test. And and actually after I took it, I was like, I'm never taking another test. It was three days back then. And shit. One test? One test, three days. Man, that's mental torture. Yeah. Shout shout out to Tracy Melvin. We're gonna wreck y'all Monday. You gotta come back Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, so I took a short barber course, didn't sell my books, didn't think I was gonna pass, passed it. But the first day of the bar exam, I show up and I'm like, okay. Um, and I left out and everybody's like, everything's okay. I'm like, everything's great. And Tracy was like, is everything really okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I wish you all well, but I'm not coming back tomorrow. And we had to sit out for hours. Um, and Tracy's still a close friend. And she was like, you cannot not come back and finish this. So came back day two and three. And yeah, 
So my time wasn't like most people's, like, I'm waiting on the, the test results. I'm like, listen, I got to get a game plan of how I'm going to take this thing over. Um, and, yeah, so very, very blessed. Passed it the first time and started practicing at uh, Legal Aid. And really, That's really. That's the folks you pay, like, $40 a month. You pay nothing. Hold up, who am I talking about then? Um, there are some kind of prepaid legal aid. Yeah, that's that them damn yeah. folks. Yeah, yeah. No. Man, <laughs> my partner. I'm telling you, man, my partner. This. So this joker got an aggravated assault charge, right, out in California. He talking about, man, I think about using the prepaid legal service. I say, boy, you finna go to prison. Boy, you better get <laughs> you a goddamn lawyer. Boy, that's like wrong with you. I say, bro. You think somebody you pay fifty dollars a month for keep you out of prison? I say, man, that shit built for like getting you like a rebate or like <laughs> if somebody like you know what I mean steal your computer and you find out and you want to sue them for like because you couldn't do your work. <laughs> That's what that shit for. What you what you got going on, my friend? You need an abogado. <laughs> you need a lawyer. Well, we don't do criminal, but but definitely. So um, what you, what you practice now? So, um, so that was in Alabama. I moved. To, I'm at Florida Rural Legal Services, and I'm the CEO. So, but the organization helps with tax controversies. Like, if you have a lien on your home, um, we have vocal grants that help with victims of violence. Um, we do housing eviction prevention, foreclosure prevention. We have a lot of grants um, now that we're helping people to pay their rent if it's a, if they've been. Um, if they've had COVID and COVID is the reason they you know, weren't able to pay their rent. And so, yeah, we are doing great work in central and south um, Florida. Okay. So if I, so tax services. Mm-hmm. So do y'all work like those most lawyers, man, regular us civilians, we get scared when we hear, when you hear the word lawyer, you know, you got to spend some money. So is that <laughs> one? You do. Anytime you hear, you like, man, you got to get a lawyer. Oh, shit. Now the type of lawyer you get. Is what decides on yeah. the price. Yeah. Why? You know. All right. I know all y'all ain't ain't criminals and janky, but out of all the lawyers, who the most corrupt? The criminal criminal attorneys. <laughs> I I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one. You know. No, I yeah, I think um I say they criminal. probably well, I think the public may think that because you really are dealing with the person's life or death depending on the case and so because of the severity of what comes with that if you lose and a friend or family member gets 10 20 years you're usually gonna blame the attorney yeah and especially when you paid a large retainer you paid 10 15 thousand and you still get time and and so i think they have the most fault and blame placed on them but actually without a paid attorney i mean data shows you know, you usually come out a lot worse off um, because of the caseload of public defenders. And oh, yeah. yeah. So you still, if you, you know, you want to you might, get. You might, well get, you might yeah. well get prepaid legal if you're going to use a public defender. This is shit. Um, and, well, and it's the system. So public defenders get a bad rep. But when we look at um, the amount of money in the criminal, some, some people call it injustice system, you have to realize on the front end. <laughs> If we weren't packing prisons, there would be adequate funding to pay. Everyone should have a right to legal counsel. Yeah. And if a public defender meets you the first day of your case, 
are we blaming the public defender or blaming funding? Because a person, when we see data that shows the criminalization of poverty, and if you grow up in poverty, you are three times more likely to end up in the juvenile justice system, which leads you to the criminal justice system. So there is no reason you shouldn't have representation. And I I don't know if that representation is just if I just met you and I'm working out plea deals, you know, all day because I don't really have time to properly prepare for a case. So I think that is funding. That's the system. And it should be more of a a political issue than it is. The system ain't set up for you to win. The system don't even want you to get no points. So that's why it's like that. My mama always told me, boy, stay your ass. She used to tell me in my little knucklehead days, you going to listen to somebody. You going to listen to me or you going to listen to them white folks. You might well listen to me because at least I feed you. I was like, you know what? Lady got a point. Lady got a point. Lady got a point. And, but it's true. Yeah. It is true. And like being in, because my furthest I got with my, in my field, I got a criminal justice degree. Okay. And I tried to be, I wanted to do homicide, but I... You know, no criminals, no people that work in, in the field kind of tied to it. And I just know, like, the reason why I ask who is the most corrupt, because mm-hmm. I know when you in criminal law, mm-hmm. not all, but most of like the people that I know that get in trouble, the attorneys that they have to get come with like certain assumptions. You know what I mean? Like I, I could think about a buddy from Alabama got caught with like maybe like an eight ball. Mm-hmm. And he ended up It worked out for him But the attorney was like Talking to him Like he was Pablo Escobar He was like Man I just got started bro Like this is my first This is my first eight ball Like I ain't, I ain't rolling yet uh-huh. Give me two years So that's that's why And and So you have I could be no attorney I'd be broke I'd be broke Because I'm a humanitarian Like somebody will come in And be like Bro I'm finna go to prison bro I ain't yeah. got nobody I'd be like I got you dog I, I definitely think That's why um, practicing now over 15 years, I being still doing legal aid because I definitely, you know, I I I am. I see myself in our clients, and there's no way I knew someone would be facing a serious like real time. And you know, a lot of times it's not the crime; it's the situation. And you see white collar crimes that are horrible, and it's, Hardly ever real jail time, right? And then you see someone like you said in in a situation, and it's like you're a, and it's like no, this is is time, place, and situations. And, I, and so I also know um, when you take away opportunities out of communities, you that's the that's the largest factor to crime. Yeah. When people have opportunities, and you say, hey, they're after school programs. Sports. There are um, ways for you know community centers. Most places don't. You know, they used to. Right. So you don't have anything, Hmm. and then a a child. Yeah, children will make something to do, and so you have an eight-year-old. Oh, six-year-olds getting taken to juvenile. Come on. So it's it's taking opportunities out of communities, and so we we should be expecting the same crime rates we see because no one's doing anything about it. They want to, cause they, cause now you can invest in private prisons, and we can just keep building these prisons and throwing y'all ignorant butts in there. The we just gonna will keep be on, filled, right? We gonna keep getting paid. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't explain to people how, like growing up, see here in Atlanta, 
over in one of our the back in the day it was one of our bad neighborhoods. It was dope hoes, all kind of shit. But it was a gym called Run and Shoot mm-hmm. in the nineties. It was twenty four hours. Basketball. That's good. And when I tell you that shit saved so many mm-hmm. of us. Yeah. And I can I wish my mom was here to tell you the stress that she didn't have to deal right. with because she knew where, where y'all going? Mm-hmm. Oh, we finna go run and shoot. Mm-hmm. She knew we up there playing. Last mother came in there shooting, right. which never happened. Wow. So, and it was in one of the worst neighborhoods in but Atlanta. Prime example. But that is something that is missing. Mm-hmm. Like kids, it, they don't have nothing to do. Big brothers, big sister program. Yeah. The pile, the police athletic league. Mm-hmm. Like we used to play in all of that shit mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and that, and it made it kept us off the street. Yeah, and and it was you know it was crazy too because like even like the criminals, it was a code of honor growing up. I remember like being in my neighborhood, like I was basketball player, me and one of my partners, and like they thought we was going to NBA. So like the dope boys would be like. Hey man, y'all don't be hanging out out here, man. Why y'all ain't at the gym? Why y'all ain't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of like, yeah, come over here and let me show you how to cook this rock. They'd be like, nah, bro, like, y'all get the hell on. Go yeah. join the basketball. And I remember when I went back to my old neighborhood and I saw some of them guys, they was like, you still play ball? I was like, nah, but they was like, what? I just could see, like, the hurt in them. Mm-hmm. We don't have that no more. At least I don't, I don't well, see it. Well, so I'm going to challenge the, the criminals because let me say something. When we talk about what happens on the streets and then we talk about what happens in corporate America, we're quick to say, like, those are, I mean, drug dealers is good, but criminals, because the same type of thing that happens that sometimes involves billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Pharmaceutical companies, yeah. they're not they're not criminals, but we, yep. we see some things and it's like. Oh, they're criminals. Yeah, they yeah. just ain't. They ain't pulled out but, to the front of the, the congregation. But, it, but it's it's like you said earlier about the labels, and then we have to be careful because when someone uh, enters the system at a young age, and they're more likely to enter the system, and we put that label on a fourteen year old, then it becomes comfortable. So you know, the yeah. second, third time, especially if you don't have family, if you can't uh, pay a bail, and you're two weeks sitting in prison with grown men yeah. or, or county jail with grown men, so. Those labels kind of, you know, um, real. They take them in, and it's like, well, that's what I am. And so, no, the the system needs to be not reformed. This we need a clean start. Now, I don't know if we'll ever get there because as long as you're talking about reform, you're just kind of padding, like you're making um, a statute and you're kind of making it pretty. Needs to be completely restructured. How do you feel about like? When you hear like criminal, not criminals, fuck athletes. Like when you hear athletes get like the Henry Ruggs situation, you know, you know who that is. <laughs> That's the kid. Um, play for Vegas for the Raiders uh-huh. and kill somebody. He wasn't a hit and run, but he was going like a hundred some miles yeah, an hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So like as an attorney, like the story. Mm-hmm. When you hear that kind of thing, like what kind of goes to your mind? Because some people do try to abuse like. They privileges as far as like, oh yeah, I play for such and such, so I know I'm gonna get these privileges. Do you feel that way, or do you feel does like your human side more kick in? Like, damn, young brother. Yeah, yeah, and, and most of the time my human side kicks in. Um, and like you said earlier, I think that's probably why I'm doing um, public service type of law. Uh, 
so two things. I think we, when we look at colleges and universities, and I'm so happy to see students have an opportunity to um, earn income and, and not feel pressed. Oh, like all the four, nails, yeah. All four years because. So what happens a lot of times if you come from a disadvantaged background and you get to a major Division One university and it's right. all this money and all these fans and coaches who are now making six, seven million dollars and you don't really know how you're going to get home for Christmas. Right. I right. mean, you get a small um, uh Stipend to buy clothes, and I don't know how it was when you were playing, but I remember I was being, at Grambling and Fort Valley, so them little uh, four for fours we could buy <laughs> shit. Right, and you had a meal plan, and other than that, you literally had to go through where you see um, all of these fans come millions and millions of dollars. And you're still disadvantaged. You still go home to public housing. Mm -hmm. You still don't know where, you know, your meal comes from if you're home for Christmas. And, you know, these families also usually need legal aid. And we were um, working on a program before I left Alabama. Um, We were working with the chaplain, but to provide help to those families so athletes can be whole. So I really believe when it's like you said, when you don't uh, poverty is it, it chokes you, you you can barely breathe everything that you see uh, happening in those communities. It happens with student athletes. And even though you're in a different environment, Sometimes you bring it with you, like we talked about labeling. So if, you, if you've been called a criminal and you get to, you know, just because you're around this money, just because you have fans, a lot of times. Opportunities. And it's no. When you go through those things, if a, if a kid nine years old is arrested, whether we say they did the right thing or not, you never get therapy. You never get counseling. That experience. You know, black folk don't believe in no therapy. We, 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 we do. Some of us. Uh, but, but if it's. Now. Therapy is nothing. You now you gotta say honestly, with black people, therapy has become popular right around the time folks start finding out what the fuck gluten was. Because for the last ten, the ten years prior to this shit, when no black, you tell a black person, man, you know what? You should go talk to somebody. Nigga, who what? Who the fuck? I'm talking to you. I don't even talk to nobody. Now you can mention that, and certain people will go. You know what? You might be right. Uh, okay, so but if you're right, I, I'm not gonna argue. <laughs> you're right. When I was growing up, it wasn't like I just left my therapist. Right. Well, but, what? But look talk at to your grandma. But look, I was just gonna say we had substitutions. When you we sat at the foot of elders, we listened, and it's like you said, even without the label, if it's a dope boy, you you put your hands behind your back when when the pastor came through. Hey, hey, Pastor Silcott, that's yeah. just how it worked. And so you you actually had church members, you had elders, you had grandparents. So we got it from that, di- in different ways. Right. Sit down. The, the grandparents nowadays is smoking hookah and twerking on TikTok. They can't give you no advice. These are different grandparents. These grandparents be in the streets. Times change. They, these are these different. The reason why I, and I've never been to a therapist, but the reason why I'm not against it is because it gives you a different I got people I'm blessed to have people that's honest with me mm-hmm. right and I think that's what a therapist does at best you got to go into it no this is a human so this motherfucker got right. debt too he probably cheating on his woman or whatever you can't look at it like that but best case it's a 
a ear that's not emotionally tied to you. So that's the problem sometimes when you we go and talk to auntie or grandmama, they love you. So they gonna tell you what not only they think is best for you, probably a little bit of what they would do. Yeah, put a little ice in on Right. So you talk to a therapist, <laughs> therapist, he got forty four minutes before this next appointment. So he gonna be like, All right, bro, uh if I was you I would stop doing that. You right. know what I mean? Right. So Um and I think it's fear. So in the black communities or in black communities, I, I don't think it's in the South. I don't think it has anything to do with West Coast, East Coast. It's so much damage when we think about what has happened. Oh. People coming into our communities, roadblocks in our communities. Like you are setting up a roadblock to catch people and take them to jail. Just think about what the meaning of, of some Hush of this. Right. So. The commun- it's so inco- it's uncon- right when we think about it, right? And so the things that happen in our communities are so scarred. And I was a community advocate um, in Alabama for over ten years, but it, a lot of times when I throw out data, people are like, "She she hates the police. She hates the system." No, no, no. I mean, you can't argue with data. And when you see communities scarred and harmed and hurt so much. The distrust is there. So most of the time, at least like in the 80s, when people start, okay, well, I can see a therapist or I want to go to marriage counseling. I mean, you raise an important point. These are humans, but it's distrust to go and and oftentimes then sit across from someone who doesn't look like you. It's still a clause. If it's some criminal, I still got to report you. Listen, we're not doing that. And and because we have to heal from so much. And I think as we continue to heal, as now, you know, you see children are being referred to counselors who look like them. Why? Because it's easier conversation. And when those children have been hurt and harmed, it helps. The other thing um, is building trust factors within black communities, meaning having certain fields that we have to encourage people to go into. Um, I don't know if you saw the data like two weeks ago that having a black doctor in in black communities, even if it's at a clinic, cuts mortality rates in half. Yeah. I couldn't, I, I literally saw it on social media, had to go research it myself, cuts it in half just by having that presence. Because when you erase, t- remove racism, everything else stacked against you. When you remove racism, meaning I'm not helping, I'm not, th- this is treatment I may get of someone else, or mm. your pain may not equate to this woman's pain. That's why so many, you know, black women that died during childbirth, long, long history of that in medical field, but just having black doctors in that community. So when we spread that to therapists, lawyers, judges, it becomes more important than you're building trust. And I think more people, especially in urban areas where a lot of times your people, your teachers, your school, your principal, your church. And then you say, oh, but go across town and go see this therapist that, you know, so it, it, I think it's a lot of things we can do as a community, but also putting those, um, making sure that we are majoring in certain fields and making that more comfortable. I think you can break down the trust barriers. I think they got to start glorifying also other. See, in our community, we think sports and rapping is like the only way to make it. And I think if they were to like glorify more 
jobs and more career paths it would give young black people more options and i think nowadays with like that's one good thing i mm-hmm. can say social media does it exposes like the youth to like different things somebody be like yo you want to make a hundred thousand dollars with a boxcar business you know what i mean like that's but what, what that happened is, in the 80s like if you before social media you never had the money to travel. All you knew was what the people you grew yeah. up with. So you knew what that's you why you glorified. Because what are, if I didn't see an opportunity to go to college, and but I see someone just like me, maybe had to drop out, maybe had to help feed their families. I feel like when you take opportunity out, you introduce crime into communities and... I mean, the billionaire that says I'm going to illegally um, make a stock trade, they're not labeled. But if I have younger siblings and I feel like, you know, my mom already has two jobs and I make a a decision to do whatever hustle it is. Um, Like you said, the judgment is different. But the we have taken out like a pathway to wealth outside of college. So I was going to ask you what you think about trade schools and VOAG and like, because I feel like when you, when we had those opportunities, it's not just being a doctor, lawyer, what's wrong with being a plumber? What's wrong with being an electrician? And why aren't we still teaching those trades? I mean, as a black man, what do you think? Oh, I think shit. If a young, if I was to having a daughter, I can't say go be a plumber, but she can be a beautician. Right. She can get her cosmetology license. Absolutely. Absolutely. She can open a nail shop. She Absolutely. can open up a spa. I don't, I personally think, I, why did I just say I personally? Because when I say I, that means personally. Anyway, <laughs> I think that. <laughs> That's the comedian you that, don't cut off your, even on yourself. Right. <laughs> I, I think, you know, it's like the, the, the. 401k days, the retirement day, that's just done. It's just over with. If you going to start a career at Publix thinking you finna work up in corporate and go get this pie in the sky in 35 years, that's pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. So if a young guy came to me say, hey man, I'm finna graduate high school in two weeks. I got this option to go to college and or I could go, but I want to build houses. Mm-hmm. My question would be, who paying for this college? If he's saying, Bray, it's absolutely free. I got mm-hmm. scholarships. Go. Get the experience. Beat people. Join a frat. Have fun. Because it's on somebody else's dime. But while you're there, be drawing. Be coming up with your designs. Meet the white boys who dad own the construction companies. Meet the, you know what I mean? Like, go for that purpose. But if you got to come out your pocket, fuck that school. And go and get your, learn, take an uh, apprenticeship. Go Find somebody, give one of these Mexican guys that, that don't mind you coming and hanging out and showing you how to do it. But you give me like $500 a week, bro. I'm going I'm to I'm be your assistant. And that's what you do. Because looking back on it, I only went to college because the shit was free. I was going to tell jokes. So, hey, that's cool shit, man. You got to. Student loans are real. So, what? So, so, no, no, no. I mean, listen. <laughs> For everyone, I ain't got none of them. It's on, it's on the rough end. I didn't watch enough of the show, so you're giving it real raw. But but I'm agreeing that that 
student loans and student loan issues were actually one of the biggest uh, points of debate during the last presidential election. As it should be. Because so many people are burdened down by student loan debt. So if you think about the examples we gave, and all of this correlates um, to athletes. I'm going to get back on um, student athletes who commit crimes. But let me let me say the the biggest burden on someone who doesn't have a trust fund to cash in and you go through four years and then you say well this is why as a community we need to start looking at trades versus college because now you have a degree in social work now you're out it, making twenty eight thousand dollars a year doing what if that and then you got a second job and you're paying student loans and the minimum plus interest is why you can't get a home, a car. And, and so all of this to Keep say, you on the hamster wheel. I have a master's degree. Okay, but you can't, you're not, you're borderline poverty. So what you said is so important. Is it free? Can I get a, a, um, a government grant or a scholarship? Because if you are it's paying, and, and I encourage everyone, like, I don't want this com- people to feel like this because con- I know exactly what you're saying. This conversation is, well, y'all got degrees and now you no, no, no. But if you can learn a trade, if you can work yeah. and just work in those first five years and investing and put saving money and getting a 401k yeah. and maybe you, you say I'm going to do this five years and you say, you know what? I'm working for someone else's plumbing company. I'm going to take out a loan and get a, a truck. And I've worked under this guy for five years. Maybe I own my own business. We are not pushing uh, those types of things. And we're saying, okay, you can go and have a master's degree and you get and become a teacher and you have student loan debt. And then yeah, you're yeah. on this wheel and on your life wheel. is, yeah, your life is hard. So I, I think that, uh, and thank you for the for um for the honest answer we have to start looking at other ways of what we've done for the last 20 years has not improved our economic situation in our community at all we need to be having inter-community conversations about what we can do to change that and the, i published um when i was at legal aid in alabama community um redevelopment and working in communities to say, what can we do different? And when you have these government grants and companies coming in saying, we're going to step into the community and make it better. Inter-community conversations mean I'm going to say, hey, you grew up here. Let me talk to you. Right. Like what 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 you just said about having a safe place um, to go where parents felt like, you know, after school programs and things like that. I can't come in and know that. I don't know how to redevelop communities that are now failing when they didn't used to be so yeah i think we need to start involving black men in these conversations and then if we're going into communities i mean that's like in the first few pages work with community leaders who already have their boots on the ground so um but but to your question i think we went around that part communities are so important coming from disadvantaged communities the point is, sometimes you take that residue with you, even at large universities, even in the instance where you oh, talked yeah. about it. So without therapy, that's how we got. That's how we digress without therapy and, and healing from some of these things that because encounters with the police um, just, you know, dealing with um, crimes. Um, and then you go to college and you say, oh, he made it out. But no, you still, really. that person is broken. 
So I will say it's Most not to, it. to make anyone guilty. We, we don't really, um, sometimes we do know there are innocent people in prison. There are innocent people charged. But I think some of that is not necessarily healing from disadvantaged backgrounds. And all athletes don't come from disadvantaged backgrounds. All black people nah. don't come from disadvantaged nah. backgrounds. But but sometimes... I hate the ones that be trying to act like they do. <laughs> I got Man, I went to school with a cat. I ain't gonna call his name out just in case he ever hears this. This joker mama is a judge. Judge. I'm talking about banging the gavel judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Muy importante. <laughs> his mama say, what kind of car you want to buy your car? I'm thinking, we thinking this joker finna get an infinity, you know. This joker, this joker come back to school with a box Chevy. We like, bro. I was going to guess Chevy. Why? 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 We like, why? Why you t- to fit in Damn that I don't want to fit in My mama finna buy me a Lexus I'm getting a Lexus I'm gonna fit in my own tribe over here With foreign But yeah I, So you, to your point Yeah you got people Because the struggle Everybody wants to be a part of the struggle mm-hmm. Everybody respects the struggle I don't know why mm-hmm. Because life is happening to everybody So even if Because I got partners that grew up in privilege and they can tell you stuff that they had to deal with mm-hmm. growing up in privilege, right. controlling parents. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's certain things just because we don't see it. Right. We don't experience it. We like, damn, the it must be nice. But yeah. what you don't know is, yeah, they live in this million dollar home, but you got this kid got to watch his dad beat his mama every night or whatever goes on that we don't yeah. see. You and, know, and our communities it is not just the poverty we see now. We are still reeling from PTSD. I mean, we have to be honest. A fam- so wealth for us is still newer. So even that family that seems well off, oh, they're you're two generations removed for enslavement, and because that PTSD, you know, um, a historian said. What happens when, you know, someone like literally is is enslaved from the moment you're born to you until you die. And then, you know, this goes on generations and generations like oh freedom. No access, no, no. 40 acres and a mule, no money, no idea of where it comes from. And although we are resourceful as um, a people. That PTSD, not only from enslavement, but all, everything that happened um, in the 100 years following, you don't heal that through uh, becoming a judge or a doctor or a lawyer. Hmm. Because when you still have systems set up to um, ensure this second class citizenship um, that we've had to live through, that creates PTSD that is generational. So for the for, for the. Um, Family that now it's like, oh, they are on the other side of town and they're doing well. Those uh, spots that haven't been healed sometimes come through. um, And like you said, you don't know what's going on in the family. But that child then says, I don't want to be over here isolated with these people because they're trying to live in this box. Mm -hmm. uh, Still with uh, generational PTSD. And everybody seems cool over here. They're at the bus stop. You know, my mom's dropping me. I want to be at the bus stop. Yeah. So it's so much um, PTSD that hasn't been addressed. And we don't even look at, you know, we talk about community problems. We talk about poverty. But that's generational. And we're still healing from. Like uh, what Kanye said, we still slaves. 
He just said that shit wrong. He said it terribly. His tack was terrible. But what he was basically saying, it's pretty true. If you if you really look at the context, it's like we have we don't realize what we pay for our freedoms. It's basically what what I took from that. It's like, yeah, we got all these luxuries and we got all these things, but look at what we got to worry about. And so like we talked about me moving out of the country. That's part of the reason why. I can't you know how many guns I got in this house? And it's because I need them. A couple of months ago, somebody knocked on my door with a gun. Was that the wrong fucking house? What if I'd open my door? Like, that's what we deal with in this country. I'm in Colombia walking through barrios and slums. I ain't got nothing on me. Feel safe as hell. Ain't worried about shit. Because it's not the same. It's a, it's a system over here. Like, this shit is the Matrix. It's the Matrix. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with everything. Um, you said a lot. But most of it, I do agree with. I mean, I, I think um, it's really hard for people to separate the systems, um, and it's so many. And, and Death even thing is so many. yeah, yeah. I, it's like it's like this never-ending boss you gotta fight in this video game. It's mm-hmm. like you whoop this one boss ass. You standing there like. Trying to get your breath. You got wounds you need to heal from. And you look up and it's a whole other boss coming down the hill. You like, bro. Yeah, that's what and I'm saying. You beat him and you take on more wounds. Yeah, so. And then you look up and it's another boss. And yeah. this is a double headed boss. Mm-hmm. This is the police. And then this, this is the healthcare. And goddamn. Yeah, so. <laughs> and, and let me also, I, I want for, you know, young, th- this is mostly for young girls um, because I know that I, I was, you know, a young girl before, you know, everything people see now, like, I didn't know any lawyers. I, I, I want, I knew I wanted to do something at the time. I thought I wanted to be a journalist, but young black boys in particular, you know, that analogy you gave, like you're always playing dodgeball because it's societal hate. It's also self hate. It's self hate. So much. It's what, the systems have done to relationships so oftentimes you get it from you know women who are supposed to as a group love black men and and you know all you gotta do is go on social media sometimes and it's like whoa it's not we're not enemies um and i don't want it i don't (laughs) I don't want to hate from this, we gotta, we gotta but, but I'm saying we have, podcast on that. That's a whole different we, we have work to do, but, but when you're talking about dodging, you learn literally in sports, you know, agility, but look at what that takes like to just navigate as a young. So we're not even take the student athlete part out as a young black male. And we're talking about systems. Um, and yeah, it, it, so I have a different view when we're talking about criminals and student athletes who are who make mistakes for that reason, because we have to do a whole lot of healing and have conversations we're afraid to have before we start the labels. And then, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we have to look at the systems that um, enforce it. So reinforce these labels. Yeah, we you know, and, and it starts. Sadly, the tough conversations start at home. And a lot of it is just PTSD from... Oh, gosh. It's hard Mm -hmm. being, again, like going back to like the single mom thing, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up with... And my mom, and I tell... I've sat on panels and I've had women talking about, claw at me about 
what I'm about to say, but when I really break it down, they go, well, shit. You say it with another guess? You go, I, <laughs> I said, uh, well, basically, I told her, I, I say that your mom can only walk you to the doorsteps of manhood, but she has to let you, you got to walk through this door alone. And so a woman can't teach you how to be a man. She can instill responsibility and teach you softness and certain things that you need to navigate manhood mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. but as far as like certain shit you gonna have to learn from a man and if you don't get that the world shows you the world just it's just a alright come on in here let me give you this nookie and when I really break it down we don't have to get it all the way down into it but you having a son you probably can see certain things once he had got out into the world. Yeah, we love y'all to death, and you can and you can get us to the door. And when you get through certain, when you get through that door, when I moved to L.A., I grew the fuck up. I didn't have mom. I didn't have all of that, and I had to learn. I went through the 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 walking through the burning coals, wow. but. Certain shit that my mom had taught me and I had learned from her helped me navigate this shit. Smarts also. It helped me navigate. Yeah. So you you need bar. Hey, thank y'all. Mm-hmm. But women that's controversial. Go, women I go. Where, uh-huh. Oh, I can I can raise a man. I'm like. So so let me say, and I I was fortunate. Probably y'all don't even know to tell us not to wear light jeans because you might dribble some pee on yourself. Like y'all. <laughs> fortunate to um and, and literally this is how the universe uh gives blessings i i met my master teacher 10 years ago um through social media but one of the things he taught me and this is firsthand research uh throughout the continent of africa and um he's been to every continent doing firsthand research so there are rites of passage in a lot of cultures yeah. for, for, for going from um being a young man crossing over into manhood. We need to do that in America. Go, go kill that's a tiger, one, one, and Come back home. Go kill a bear. And some of those are mental in certain certain cultures. But what you said, and I know it's controversial. Oh yeah. I, I, I don't. I, that's why I said another guess because we probably already hit on some things. But but it's important. I I, I have a sign. Um, he just turned twenty. I do believe that there is always a, a larger role for a male. And it doesn't have to be a father. It could be yeah. when, when oh, we had man. communities hold hands. and, and, and It you could know, be when they the say, old black man that sit on his porch and you walk by once a week and just, Hey, what's up, Mr. Rebo? What's going on, brother? Come holler at me. That's, That's what I mean it. by sitting at the foot of elders. And we and now kids are so busy. It's like, I don't want to go talk to the old man. that old lady. Those are nuggets. Those are life lessons. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can't be really delivered because we are emotional, because we are nurturers by nature. Yeah. And even when you have a hardcore mom, it's like, get your... But, but, at the core. At the core, that I'm, takes a man to... I mean, to that rite of passage. I'm not saying it can't happen without a man, but you're going to get it. Like you said, yeah, you, you... The world. Yeah, the world gives it to you. So it, the, the role of, you know, families... 
builds mm-hmm. better communities. And so that's why, I, well, that's why I say we're not enemies and we need to find a way to heal not, those not at all. gaps. Because we, we need, it's like we are teammates. We're supposed to be teammates, but society didn't turn this shit into score wins and losses. My mom was gangster as they come, but I always remember my mom saying, but you ever go to jail on car, I ain't coming. But guess who would come? That'd be the first person to come. Mm-hmm. My dad. You ever go to jail? Don't call me. I ain't coming. I called him. Guess who didn't come? Dads, did we, my daughter, I've never, I don't baby her. I don't, uh-uh. Because that's not my job. My job is to show you how this shit is. Mm-hmm. So, like, she got this little thing right now where she be not going. She's a senior year. She finna graduate. So, she be like, I ain't going to school today. I be like, all right. Mm-hmm. Then folks be calling me. I'm the one that the teachers call <laughs> right. saying that you're in jeopardy of not graduating. Last time that people called me, I said, ma'am, hold on one second. I went and screenshotted my degree and sent it to her. I said, I already graduated. Right. This girlfriend to be grown. Call her and tell her she is in jeopardy. If y'all got to make her not graduate because a choice she made, so be it. Right. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. That's not, but mom, mom, well, hold on, y'all, let me, dad, hey, man, you made this choice. That is, you just said it. We we look at this shit differently. Yeah. We are. Protectors, providers, yeah. and, and sometimes it's between those. Yeah, between, <laughs> I was just about to say, but it's no gray area a lot of times. Sex is and we And women fill in the gray area, and the example you gave is exactly right, because when I moved to Florida, um, my son came and was a different school, and he was it was a huge campus. So going from two A to I think eight A, shit, a private. That's, that's this was a public school. A so thou- that's a little under a thousand students. To yeah, like five. So, so he's on campus, <laughs> and they're calling like he did. I mean, they were literally he either late or he didn't come to this class. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So you see how your reaction is. Look, she's navigating. Y'all, stop calling me. I went into meltdowns. Let me run. So, yeah, yeah, I think the roles are different. And when we understand that how integral all the roles are, you don't have to be together. Co-parenting means they get the best of both worlds. Yeah. And then you realize we ain't got to be enemies. Yeah. And and, and that, that partnership, I think, um, healing, we're talking about community healing, Overall, it, that has to happen because families build communities, and you're still family. You yeah. still share that those the children are child. So yeah, we've got a lot of work to do in that area. When people hate to talk about it, before you can build a strong community, because how can we say we're having a strong community and we're singing kumbaya holding hands? And when I walk out and be like, you oh blah blah blah, and then we're so no 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 that that healing becomes a larger healing, and and I know it's hard. And we, you know, we can't deep dive, but if we make a commitment to say we can just start with ourselves and not spew this hate, not on social media, not through text messages, not to friends and family, you're healing the core because a child isn't impacted by all that. So guess what? That child who may become a student athlete, who may go to this large university, who may end up in trouble, it still starts with, like you said, it scars up and down. And that a lot of times that comes from family discourse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is that's why it's huge. And that's why a lot of them are, man. We just need to, as a society, just smoke a big ass joint. Everybody just go outside, hold hands in the park, and we just pass this just unity and join around. Is that like the four twenty? Like the whole point? Nah, nah, no. Nah, that's four twenty. Just smoke 
Beginner smoker shit Regular smokers We smoke every day We don't give a fuck about no <laughs> Matter of fact I don't even think I smoked no 420 I think I went to sleep I'm like fuck it <laughs> That's a regular day It's Tuesday dude. Huh like, But I am I'm a I'm about to take a Probably Probably finna stop smoking My damn self It's just time You know every few years I just be like You know what Let's take, take a break, a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah I need to focus on some shit I like most of my day. I just spend most of my time trying to learn the Spanish. So, so, so this is the point, though, and we kind of hit on it earlier with pharmaceutical companies. There are a lot of people with anxiety issues with sleep issues that you know you certainly can go on um, medicine, stay on that medicine the rest of your life. Oh, I, 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 that big money. Yeah, so I, I definitely That's big money. <laughs> big. It's a it's a when the next time you go in LA? Uh, I was there like three years ago. I don't know when I'm going back. So next time you go, if the place is still open. I have a cousin a, there. It's a museum on Sunset Boulevard. It's called a Museum of Psychiatric Medicine, right? I wandered in this bitch one day, mm-hmm. just hot. And the lady was like, You wanna do the free it's tour, it's a free, free tour. I was like, whatever. It was hot. I didn't feel like walking. Right. I'm like, you know what? Let me duck in here for about an hour. Yeah. Yo, when I tell you that was the, one of the most powerful tours I've ever seen because it breaks down pretty much the corruption in psychiatric medicine. It's like, how you, yeah, let's get these kids on Ritalin when they three, when they two. We got life customers. You know how much money this family's going to spend on Ritalin? Whoop their ass. They don't need no Ritalin. Whoop. They ass. And some, not advocate for it. <laughs> hey, some of these kids. So yeah, that. So the point though is, get you on this rhythm, get you on this Adderall, get you on this dependable shit. So life customers. Yeah. So that's just like having somebody come buy dime bag every Wednesday, buy ounce of weed every Wednesday. It's the same thing. They just hustling different. They so, don't put no gun on you if you don't yeah, got your money. The argument is, you. This is natural. Or if you say get a prescription for Valium or um, Ambien for sleep or whatever it is, um, one has been criminalized and with the same effects or worse, the other one is available with the prescription. And yeah, it's a billion dollar industry for a reason. So yeah, I, I it's I think your if your body tells you you need a break, take it. If you say I'm done. Do it. If you say, hey, this is this keeps me in a place I need to be in to function at at the level I need to function. It's a no judgment zone. I, I feel like and this is growing up with a dad that smoke every day, still smoke. And, you know, being seeing habits and being around people. That shit is all mental. Anything I remember a crackhead told me out of his mouth one time as he was smoking. He said, young fella, I was about left. He said, hey, man, anything you weren't born with, you don't need to live. Hmm. Don't ever do this shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, appreciate the wisdom. And it always stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And that saying helps me get over so much shit. Breakups and shit, like back when all that stuff used to bother me when I was younger. I would just tell myself that. I, I was living before I met this girl. So knowing that when people go, man, I gotta have my coffee to get my day started, you don't. You just telling yourself that shit mentally. Well, caffeine is, is real. It's a drug. 
Well, I know sugar, if, if all that shit. That Jeez. withdrawal. If you drink a strong cup of coffee, like wake up on a Wednesday and not have it. So I think people, what people are saying it's is, just, we build a dependency, right? We right. build a dependency. Do you know what drug? What drug is stronger than heroin, or almost, or just just the borderline? The same dopamine is released when you do it. It ain't even a drug. I, do you know what I'm talking about? Cheese. Look it up when I you get a chance. I read something similar. No, no, I was trying Cheese. to think of the the study that was done. Um, That's why people, when you ever notice when they eat it, they start shaking. They start wiggling. When you buy the big cheeseburger, you be like, ooh. Well, well, what? <laughs> Shimmy with it. Um, it's 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 the reason though. It's a lot of truth. I mean, you, you you give your truth on a different platter. Speaking of platters, when you are at like a wine tasting, it's the reason that you you they have all you these cheese. cheese. Yeah, because you're getting one and you're getting the other, and it's like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, most of the time, if you love cheese and you, it's like, oh, this is aged cheddar. You 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 you. You get all those feelings you talked about. And we ain't supposed to eat cheese. All humans are lactose intolerant. All of us. We ain't supposed to. This shit made for cows. We ain't supposed to eat that mess. That's why as when we eat younger, that's why it won't be having no problems. But when you get older, all them years of you slamming them Frosted Flakes and drinking them milkshakes start to yeah, break down. Yeah, I yeah. do. I, I, um, I drink almond milk and a half Me for too. the last mm-hmm. seven years. But people laugh about it. Like, nut milk, I'm like, Listen, that, first that, of all, it, it literally tastes better. So once you yeah. get away, like you can, most almond milk has a sweeter taste. So if you do, if you, you're eating cereal, it makes sense. The other part is I think we. Oh, I make oatmeal with this shit. I make. Put I'm it not a big oatmeal person, but. I put it in my I use hot it chocolate. for all my ingredients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I bake. So. I tell it, people to try to argue it's me no this. It's no different. I say take a gallon. It's actually better. Take some cow milk, whole milk, skim milk, whatever the fuck milk. Take it. And sit that shit out for a week past his expiration date, and take some and take some almond milk, and sit that shit out past his um, his expiration date. You gonna damn near faint if you stick your nose in that damn cow milk, mm. trying to smell that shit. And the almond milk, you gonna go? That's uh, something. Like, I can get away with, with this. groceries post COVID. <laughs> like almond milk lasts forever. Mm-hmm. It's better for you. And um, so it's not even about a health thing because people hate, like, don't put your health off on me. But a lot of the things I started with juicing, I, I have a TikTok channel and, and I want the, I haven't done much with it, but I, I have put like a first reel just on during COVID and everyone's scared and buying vitamins. And it's so hard for our body to absorb vitamins without other vitamins. And so when you're deficient, you're not really getting all it. So, Juicing does so much for our sales, and people are like, "Well, it's a lot of mess and it's a lot of cleanup." I literally hear that all the time. Oh, yeah. So the time. idea is to push it as you know, yeah, you can go to the juice places and and get a smoothie, but you're still getting so much refined sugar and other things when it's natural. Our bodies absorb it different. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm supposed to be pushing this page that I really don't have time to push. I put up maybe two or three posts, but the idea of us moving closer to what's natural for our bodies and that's what you said is so important and i do very little dairy but um i think you see so many more people even in communities now saying they're vegetarian and vegan and really trying to give their bodies an opportunity to heal itself versus like we're talking about big pharma i when i first started 
because I did the vegan thing for a while. I actually been thinking about going back. It's just it's time consuming. It's worth it, but it's real time consuming. You got to chop shit and fucking yeah. You you finna spend about four or five hours sometimes with prepping one meal. You be like, Jesus but, Christ. But, but I think I But think you're still doing that with sides, right? And I'm not vegan. But I'm just saying, isn't it like if cause if you're doing you're not doing that substitute meat. Like the prep, the meal prep, right? Yeah. You you, gotta, you were doing that because you still like eat if, sides. A lot of vegans If you wanna make jackfruit, right? Oh, saying, okay, okay. Oh, you're talking shit. about the substitution for meat itself yeah, and blending yeah, yeah, and burgers. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. is. Um, but what I was saying was, I think sometimes if I would have known we product survivor environment, I grew up playing ball. I had a single mom who tried to put some food on the table. She mm. don't give a fuck about no nutrition, but eat this hamburger help her. Mm-hmm. So I be thinking sometimes, like, what if I would have known or had the opportunity to eat healthy? When my body was developing, I'm like, I might have supposed to be by six three, right? You know what I mean? What do you this think? This is so important. What do you think about when you look at Whole Foods? Let's use them for example, or take Whole Foods out. Just any, um, um, like Sprouts or stores that really cater to healthy living, um, and what we have like corner stores you, um, processed foods so you, the child that grows up in a suburb with access to a farmer's market fresh food and and then like you're saying hamburger gonna develop. same same for his a body lot of gonna people. develop different develop different his body's gonna develop different and what do you think about like adult illnesses that we just say oh when my mama had sugar i'm gonna have that's sugar. a lie that's I, some bullshit I have the biggest arguments with people that's about bullshit that. i tell my dad all the time my daddy like well he ain't is he not as bad? But I have family members like, well, you know, that diabetes running our family. I'd be like, no, it no don't. Such thing. Them badass diets that y'all been passing it's down. That's what running the family. So stop eating that bullshit. And and I had this conversation with someone who was in the medical field, and I said, do you realize the crutch we put on communities to say, well, it don't matter. You can go and eat um, hog parts all day because. You have you gonna have high blood pressure because your mom had high blood pressure. Look, that is so it's environmental ignorance, and, and the reason it looks like it's passed down, if you will, is because diets typically don't go far from what? their origin. So this is the way my mom cooked. She lived to ninety. She also did physical labor, or your dad did physical labor, and food was different. A and, different. Yeah, food was different. So it didn't take twenty minutes to make a chicken. Back then, you had to actually feed it and grow it and wait for the eggs to pop out and hatch them. And then in a few months, you can eat it. You mean they weren't like thousands in a little oh, now, <laughs> now that shit is goddamn nigga. Right. Somebody go in there, he be in there watching, looking at TikTok on his phone, pushing a button. Yeah, yeah. chickens be boom, 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 Yeah. Boom. Nah. And, and again, I think it's, we're getting closer though. I would say for the first time when you're hearing uh, from communities um, having health initiatives, um, doing urban gardens, um, and, and really trying to get that's power, that's some powerful shit. Yeah, but, but like you said, it's because it's starting when you're young, right. and that is the time where your development, even your brain development, I mean, from zero to six. And if you're not getting a wholesome diet, um, 
you think about brain development. And so that's why I did the comparison and why it's so important for our communities to really start focusing on health. And and then you have stronger athletes because it's mental also. So it's mental, mental and physical. Absolutely. Yeah. If you, it's all, your environment is so important. Like my daughter be dealing with depression and I'm not one to be like, oh, you all right? No, I can't say that because that's your mental health. But what I can tell her is clean up this goddamn room because your environment, if your environment is filthy, you're going to feel this. Mm-hmm. But even in my office, when my office is cluttered, I be in there just looking at shit on the computer. But when I clean up and I got stuff tidy, I be in, I'm more sharp. It's, so it's, it, it, all of this shit work together. Yeah. All but, of it work together. And vitamins. Um, I think vitamins. I read that over, and I don't want to quote it, but it's a very, very high percentage of um, uh, African-Americans or black people with vitamin D deficiency. So I'm going to take y'all ass outside. Blood, right. <laughs> but, and, and we didn't, so this deficiency, we think about our summers when we were outside almost every day. And now with gaming and social media. And so a lot of depression literally comes from not getting enough sunlight. And Absolutely. if you don't get it naturally, take vitamin D supplements, um, preferably liquid so that your body can, it's so important to mental health. And, and we kind of focus because of COVID on vitamin C and zinc and magnesium, but it's a major problem in our community. When I was in Grambling, and I'm I'm sure this old man has gone on to glory now because this was a long time ago, but he was old in. But you would always see this guy walking, old dude, long gray dreads with a staff, with a, like a stick, barefoot everywhere he went. And we would be like, why the fuck is he barefoot? And I Grounding. asked him, I Grounding. asked him one day. Mm-hmm. I asked, because I'm me, but I would talk to anybody. And we was saw him one day, and I just, hey, let me ask you something. And he broke it down for us. He was like, man, mm-hmm. when you when you barefooted, like what you said, uh-huh. he was like, more you feel, you feel. Yes. I forgot how he explained it. He was like, you feel the, damn it. Ah, I think they call down. it grounding, but it's different with shoes. Like the actual act of. Mm-hmm. Uh, touching and some people say it's earth, but even if 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 it's like a uh, hardwood, um, that goes throughout your whole body. So that grounding isn't just like people say, well, you know, this person walks barefoot on the beach every morning. It is like a realignment almost, repositioning, yeah. and it's literally grounding and connecting. So Some. you know when people say you put your feet on the floor every morning, like when you get out of bed. Older people used to say that. That's the grounding. Yeah, he, super important. When I used to have an all right grass, I would go out every morning for about 20, 30 minutes and just stand barefoot. Yeah, I rarely wear shoes. And, and if I barefoot. do, it's flip flops. And so I can take them off because I, I do feel like that balance when people are saying, like, things aren't, I'm not, I don't feel balanced. That leads to mental health. Some of that, people who, who study it say that grounding is, is super important. So. All right, before we get out of here, we always like to ask people, and I forget most of these interviews because I be stoned sometimes. But uh, I'm human. What's your uh, What's your biggest What's your best memory from like your playing days or your involvement with sports? Um, I would probably say so. For cheering, it was having an opportunity to be around a group of girls and forging friendships like um 
you know, in high school where it's kind of popularity contest and all that, it matters. Yeah. So, you know, having having a close uh, bond with them, going to cheer camp, um, you know, pep rallies, no matter what, you know, these are girls I can depend on. Um, probably for cheering. For basketball, um, I think my fondest memory is having those opportunities to coach and, and seeing it from a different um, viewpoint and really understanding, like, I like this part. Like, I like this part. And under, um, didn't realize at the time, like, you're becoming a young leader. But absolutely love those opportunities when I was captain or um, coach say, hey, let's, let's, you can call a play. Um, so probably fondest memory uh, for basketball, for sure. For sure. So where, where can everybody find you? If we're in South Florida and we uh, have a fender bender and we need to, uh, like what? What? Who do we call? Do we call? Can we call you for that? Or we gotta like? If I gotta lean, if I gotta wait, I get a lean on my house. So do I? So, so if we're in South Florida, do we purposely not pay our solid waste bill uh-huh. for six years before we? Yeah. Do? So, so, so no. And we do this. Thing, Don't follow that advice. We do. We do this thing called poverty prevention, where we do outreach into the community, and the whole point is to prevent these cases because by the time you are about to be evicted and you and you yeah. come to us you're already broken you know it takes we're part counselors part attorneys um so so poverty prevention means let's educate the community on ways you know to to be healthy um we even have a medical legal partnership because we understand you can't really be healthy um if you are leaving a clinic or leaving um a hospital state and your utilities are cut off at home yeah. right so the mental part of it so medical legal partnerships are important but um you know the the one thing i didn't get to add that i really wanted to add when we first started talking about uh coaching and youth sports is um how important it is to understand in this kind of age of excellence you know, and, and we, we use it a lot because, and rightfully so, in our community, black excellence and black boy joy. And, um, you know, when you mentioned your daughter, I, th- I thought about, and we, there are so many teenage girls, especially that have to battle with this because it's, it's physical where guys don't necessarily have the same types of, um, pressing issues, but we have to understand that the excellent part, I mean, this is great. Uh, I made history becoming the first black um, female CEO of the organization and, and love it, love those examples. But there is a burden on young black girls that comes with this excellence and black girl magic and all the things that they have to live up to. And so I definitely want to say, and, and I tell young girls this, excellence is not the absence of adversity. Mm. It's not the absence of mistakes because we set ourselves up for excellence. And then when you have to take a hard fall, been there, it's hard to get up. It's hard to stand up. It's hard to, like you just gave an excellent example to reground and repurpose. But so when you understand that excellence is not the absence of adversity, it's not the absence of mistakes. It's not the absence of trials. We make it easier for um, I have a 16-year-old daughter. We make it easier for them to understand, like you said, 
like dodging life is life. You know, um, you, you gave yeah, an excellent yeah, quote yeah. earlier. So if we start teaching girls, not only athletes, that important lesson is hashtag excellence all day. We want to highlight it. We want those examples out there. But it does not come without adversity, without trials, without pain. You know, so I'm really open and honest about that. I started a second uh, page for motivation. Um, and the whole point is for young girls facing, you know, sometimes it's like, I just can't get my feelings right. You don't know what it is. Um, we can diagnose that. Um, but sometimes they don't get help because it's like, okay, so here are all these girls doing all these things and shining. And here I am. It's not without pressure. It's not without pain. It's not without adversity. It's not without trials. We already talked about PTSD. So the lesson is we want to break these hashtags down in in bite-sized pieces for young girls and young boys to understand when you make a mistake, dust it off. If you have trials and tribulations, it's still black boy joy. Um, and, And I think that's the way to move further away from you know, the the blues or depression or however we want to categorize it is to understand all these things are supposed to happen. When you're going through it, it doesn't feel like it. And you come out and you literally feel forged by fire. It is because you can't. I, I heard this on social media. I know we're rapping. The the most. The, the higher the rise comes from the most chips and broken pieces. And I'm like, wait a minute. You mean to get up here and you got to get. So because when you're putting yourself back together, you're you're rebuilding a better version. Right, right, right. And, and so so understanding that, I think I, I just want to, to definitely say whether you're an athlete, whether you never played sports, um, whether you sometimes you get uh, sportsmanship. Like your daughter hasn't played sports. And my first year in college, I joined the debating forensics team. And I was more competitive, I think, than any sport I played. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm opening books and giving. You know, I'm, 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 it was amazing for me. And, um, you know, you literally get to act for 45 minutes and compete to say, I, I did this better. or um, And it was, yeah. So it, it doesn't always come through sports. But I think. The, our team, I remember when we tra- traveled to North Carolina and we were winning. I mean, I was, I'm, I've always been a competitor. So I really stepped in that room like, I'm, I'm winning this. Um, so it may come in other ways. Um, we know it's important. So I, I, I want the message to definitely be that it's okay to make those mistakes. You mentioned the guy that, you know, allegedly, you know, committed a crime and that person it's going to realize that no matter what the outcome of that case is, you're going to be stronger when you come out. You're going to be stronger when you come out. You can't stay weak through hard, hard trials. So, you know, it builds a better version of you. True. It's, with that being it's been said, great. With that being said, well, we really appreciate you coming. I'm going to speak. When I say we, I'm still speaking on behalf of the co host. Because even though he ain't him, he is in spirit. In spirit. And he, and, but I'm excited for him because like he he critiques all the episodes because he's the producer. Oh. So so he'll hear it and be like he always like suggests whose episodes we should put out. He'd be like, "Yo, I listened to such and such, and uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Man, I think you're gonna like it because he hears them first. So I'm actually excited for him to be yeah. able to hear this one first. So yeah, he'll get the chance to hear this one. But with that being said, 
Thank y'all for checking out another episode of the Trophy Case. And uh, we holler at y'all last in two weeks. All right.